Good evening. Welcome to our Wednesday evening service. It is the one I'm going to speak about this evening is the second half of what I started previously on the majesty of God. And I, I tried to get a lot in the first time, and it was evident that there was no way I could finish it. And let me start this evening by saying there's a likelihood that um, I may not finish this evening either. What we're talking about, as pastors talking about now, is, you know, uh, 2024 and more to happen in 24. So I would, what I want to do is start, is, is continue this idea, the majesty of God, and, and get us to a, a level where we understand our role and our victory and what we have in him. And I know we talk about that all the time, but perhaps I'll give it a different angle uh, this evening and maybe the next time I speak. But this evening I want to continue with the majesty of God. And the majesty of God is revealed in the obedience of Jesus. The majesty of God is the kingdom of God, which is built upon, based upon, and established in the obedience of Jesus. And when I say the obedience of Jesus, what I mean is God, Almighty God, Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, that is eternal, is the eternal authority because we know that he could have just scrapped everything, right? But once he creates the universe, once he creates the universe, he creates the earth, how does he establish authority? How does he establish obedience? And why does this even matter, right? Well, we have to think about how is authority established. And I know that people get upset with obedience. I talk about obedience a lot. People say, obedience, isn't that like works? I want to get to the point where I explain to you that the reality is our obedience is our faith, our belief, our trust, and our rest in him, in the kingdom of God established by Jesus. In uh, Hebrews 5, 8 through 9, it talks about how Jesus did not bring obedience to the earth. What he did was he learned obedience in his suffering. I know this is difficult for people to understand, and I mentioned this last time, right? So in Hebrews 5, 8 through 9, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Everything is encapsulated in that statement, that he brings obedience to the earth, but he learns that obedience. He, he doesn't bring it. He learns that obedience while on earth, and he learns it through his suffering. How does he suffer? Isn't he almighty God? We must, we must remember the idea that, yes, he's almighty God, but he's 100% man. And in that, in having taken on flesh, which is the majesty of God, right, the creator of the universe, the creator of everything, takes on human flesh. Just imagine the humility. I talked about this last time. How humble he had to be, the humiliation of taking on flesh and coming into the womb and then establishing obedience through what he suffered. And what he suffered was in the flesh, the temptations in the flesh. And yet he sinned not. He remained what? Obedient through that suffering and thereby establishes the kingdom of God. See, we are saved through his obedience. 
I want to get into that obedience idea, but authority. I want to establish the difference between the idea of legal authority. Authority cannot be established in the universe without obedience. Think about that. If there's authority, how is authority revealed? How is it expressed? How is it established? Only through obedience to that authority. See, authority cannot exist alone. So God establishes or reestablishes authority over the earth in Christ. We'll get to that. So I, I'm, I'm trying to do too many things at once, so let me slow down. Sometimes I get to be, I want to stay in line with the, the, the verses. So Jesus <clears throat> learns obedience, and here's why this is important. Almighty God creates the universe, and as we learn in Genesis, to whom does he give dominion over this earth? You have to understand this is the majesty of God. He, does, he shares his authority by delegating his authority upon whom? Adam. He says, you have dominion over all the earth. So Adam is to be obedient to the authority of God, and yet Adam in and of himself has authority over the earth, right? What does Jesus say? One cannot be, I think it's the centurion in the, in the Gospels, one cannot be of authority unless one is under authority. Anyway, I'm getting too deep into things. I'm getting lost. So Adam is given dominion, right? However, when God says, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what he's making is a legal claim of his authority. There is now, because Almighty God, the authority, states, thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now there's a legal directive, and thereby establishing legal authority. And so what happens? We know that, that Satan, Lucifer, and the, comes and deceives Eve, and Adam is not deceived. Adam eats of the fruit through what? His free will choice. This matters. This matters because it was to him that dominion was given. Authority and obedience. So when he chooses in his free will decision to eat of the fruit, under whose authority has he just come? Satan's. So what he does is he disobeys the legal directive of God to not eat, the uh, eat of the fruit, and obeys Satan, thereby establishing the kingdom of Satan and causing all flesh to be subject to the authority of Satan. There is a legal decision that is made in a free will choice by Adam to give that authority to Satan. Now all flesh is dead. Why? Because it's under the authority of Satan. This establishes the kingdom of Satan, which is over all the earth. It is a legal action. So who has dominion over the earth? Legally, it's Satan. Why do we struggle, as it says in Romans 7, with this flesh? I hate this flesh. This is one of the reasons why I look forward to the, to the, to the rapture so much, is because this flesh drags me down. 
and I still sin no matter how many years I am in the Word, no matter how, many, how much I pray and I love Him and I believe Him and I am saved and born again, I still sin and it grieves me so deeply that it angers me. And then I, I kick myself and whip myself and I feel worse. Who shall save me from this flesh that drags me into hell? The reason is, is the flesh has not been redeemed. Why? Because it is still under the legal authority of Satan. Get it? Now, I don't want you to think, well, then I have no, I have no hope. Wrong. We do have hope. You see, God emptied himself of his authority, of his grandeur, of his glory, and poured it out to become a man, a 100% man. It says, uh, uh, so I want to get into the idea of authority and obedience. I want to flesh this out, this idea that without obedience, there is no authority because it cannot exist in and of itself. And so I want to talk about things, uh, uh, delegated authority. God delegates his authority to Adam. Adam legally transfers that authority to Satan. But God says in his word that he sets up kingdoms, that he puts men in authority, women in authority. These are what's called delegated authorities. And this is a very important idea. Unless we understand authority, we cannot truly understand salvation. That's how important the idea of authority and obedience really is. When Adam sins through his free will disobedience, he is in rebellion, and so is all flesh in rebellion under the kingdom of Satan. And so we set up our own systems on this earth. Hosea 8.4 says, they have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. So there are kingdoms on this earth. Delegated authorities. The problem with this is, it is under the authority of whom? Who's the legal authority over the earth, over flesh? Satan. So anything that's established on this earth is corrupted. So we, don't, we have to understand that, as I said last time, we don't know who God has anointed to lead, to be in authority. But what we can know is who's in authority. And that's why we need to come under that authority. I know I'm getting into this. I, I, I'm struggling to maintain a focus so that it's clear. We need to understand that authority and our obedience is very important. Not just, as I said, obedience to God, but obedience to his delegated authority. Let's, let me look at a few figures in the, in the Bible. What about Moses? Moses, the great prophet, Moses, and, and towards the end of his life, he marries, what, an Ethiopian, I believe, which is against the law. And who comes against him? His brother and his sister, Aaron and Miriam, Right? Now, Moses marries the Ethiopian. He doesn't make uh, Aaron and Miriam do anything. It was his act. It was his decision to do this. But what do Moses, I mean, what does Aaron and Miriam do? They complain. To whom do they complain? They complain to God. Say, well, has not God spoken through me? Have I not spoken all these things? Are we not 
in this? Is, are we not? They're complaining to God about Moses breaking the law, so to speak. What does God do? Does he deal with Moses or does he deal with them? You have to learn this because this is important. You see, what they're doing is they're coming against God's delegated authority, irrespective of the behavior of that delegated authority. Now, this is, this is rough. When we choose to backbite, complain, and go against and gossip against the authority over us, God deals with whom? Us. God deals with us. So we need to understand, I can't speak about that. I can't run down the authority over me irrespective of their behavior. Do you understand? This is understanding authority and obedience. That authority is set up by God, therefore I'm subject to it. Let's look at the church. The pastor is the authority under which I function. If I run my mouth about the pastor, then I am out of line, not irrespective of what the behavior is. If I view that behavior as out of line, what is that to me? That's between him and God, not me and him. And so God will address that. Please understand, if there's an issue there, I'm trying to establish understanding of authority and obedience in the world under the kingdom of God. And so that not, has nothing to do between he and I. That's between him and God. What's important is that I come under that authority. That's God's delegated authority to which I am subject. If I backbite and complain, I am out of line. This is heavy. This is weighty. Because why? Because the kingdom of the flesh teaches us to what? Complain. Run our mouths. Whine. Under the authorities under which we've been placed. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's easy to work for a boss who's a jerk. It doesn't mean it's easy to work for a boss who is abusive and angry and everybody has to worry about whether the boss is in a good mood or a bad mood when you walk into the office or wherever it is. Oh, is he in a good mood today? Who wants to work there? No one, but you do it for a lot of reasons. But if you do it with your mouth shut, understanding that you're under that authority and it's not for you to be that authority, you will demonstrate maturity that the world has not ascertained, understood. That's powerful. I didn't understand this. I was a backbiter or a complainer. I ran my mouth for years and years and then wondered why I wasn't placed in a position of authority because I didn't understand authority. I was out of line. I was disobedient. And then when I learned and understood, shut up. I'll give you another example. The other day, uh, there was a situation, and in my job, I'm, I'm, I'm the, the authority, so to speak, and there was a situation in the community where the, the police were involved, and they made a decision. Now, when there's an issue of a, uh, um, a police action, I'm not the authority, I function under their authority. And so they made a decision that I didn't understand because it seemingly was contrary to what we always plan for and discuss. And so someone called me up the next day and said, you know, the trooper said that uh, he'll, he'll, he'll have some coffee with you and explain why they decided what they did and 
you know, so you can ask questions. And I responded by saying this. That's not for me to question them. I'm sure that they made the decision that they did based upon the information that they had that I didn't have. Do you understand this? Throughout our days and our lives, we complain and talk badly about authority. Do you understand you don't have a clue of the full breadth of the information with which they're dealing? It's like the proverbial iceberg. You see this. You know this. You're sure of this. And yet the wealth of the information by which the decision was made is underneath the surface. But you don't know that, but you presume to know and so you think that it was all wrong, and you, and you question, and you run your mouth and criticize. I don't know why anyone wants to be an authority today, because all they do is deal with criticism from a know-it-all humanity that has all the answers, even though they have no clue what's behind the decision. I'm saying this of myself. I didn't know. And then I became in a position of authority and realized decisions are made and no one has a clue. This is why God says, you obey. Because if we don't obey, we have chaos. Now understand, there's a reason I said earlier about Miriam and Aaron not being told by Moses to do something against God's will. He did it. Do you understand? He didn't direct them to do something against his will, against God's will. He didn't say, well, don't follow God's laws anymore. He's the one who did it. So this gets into a whole different issue about do we obey, um, you know, authority that goes against God. Again, who are you to presume? I know this gets into whole areas that are difficult. Let's talk about David. David and uh, Saul, the king. David is anointed. Why? Because God withdraws his approval of Saul, who he had anointed king, because he had, what is he did? He reaches out to the witches of Endor, whatever. But yet, David knows he's anointed. And yet it's decades before he becomes the king. Saul retains his right as king. Why didn't God remove him? You see, if you're placed under an authority, I know I'm rambling on, if you're placed under authority that doesn't behave right, or you don't think is good, Perhaps you're placed under that authority for you to learn obedience. I'll give you an example. When Jesus humbled himself of his deity and took on flesh, hang in there now, flesh was under the authority of Satan, but not Jesus' flesh because he never sinned. Still, that temptation was still there. If it wasn't temptation, it would have been a lie. Of course it was temptation. Jesus was tempted throughout. And yet, what does he do with that temptation? It is written. It is written. And he says, get behind me, Satan. So God establishes his kingdom. How? Through obedience. All right. So why do we suffer if we're redeemed, if we're saved? Because we continue to choose to conform to this world and then choose rebellion, right? It says in uh, Romans, what is it, 12-2? Uh, 
do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What happens is we choose to obey the kingdom of this world in our flesh rather than the kingdom of God through our faith, through our belief, through our obedience, and ultimately in rest. God could not establish his kingdom through a man because Adam had made a free will choice. Because the kingdom, that the kingdom could not be established due to their carnal disobedience. See, Jesus is the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.13 says, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. How many times have I said this as a kid? Right? Say the, 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 the prayer. For yours is the power, the glory. I just forgot that prayer. Isn't that amazing? How many times I said it? I just forgot it. See, when we ask for the, thy kingdom come, well, what does that even mean? Jesus is the kingdom. He is the kingdom. He establishes the kingdom of God on the earth through what? His obedience. His obedience to what? His obedience to God. His free will choice to obey God and not the flesh. So the kingdom of God was not formerly in man, but when Jesus comes, it is around, within, uh, um, uh, uh, among same thing with Revelation 12, 10. It says, now is come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Jesus' authority is based upon his obedience and his free will choice to accept God's authority and the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God was not on earth. It was not established on earth because it was the kingdom of Satan. The establishment of the kingdom of God comes from Jesus' obedience and God and Jesus, as it says in Luke 12, 21, for, and this is Jesus, for lo, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, says the Lord. In the midst of you. What is he saying? He is the kingdom of God. He is the kingdom. He says in the midst of you, around you. It's not in you. It wasn't in them. This is why um, um, it's said of John the Baptist, he is greater than any man who ever lived. Yes, and yet you, who the kingdom of God is in, is greater than he. I know, we read that and think, no, how am I greater? Because you've made the free will choice to accept the free will sacrifice of the kingdom of God, Jesus. See, Almighty God in his majesty chose to share his authority with his body, the church, which is the body wherein God's authority is exercised. Get that now. The kingdom of God is in you when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The authority of God is expressed through his church, through you. You express, you exercise you put in motion the kingdom of God on this earth. That's why the enemy, the Antichrist, cannot take over the earth when you are still here because the kingdom of God is in you. That's why the enemy is not subject to you 
and we have authority over flesh, even though we're still, flesh has not been redeemed. But you see, within the church, God expects full, full obedience, not only to direct authority, but also to his delegated authorities. Do you understand that? Yes, people, it's easy to be subject to God's direct authority, or at least intellectually we can accept that. I'm subject to God's uh, direct authority. But it's very difficult to say I'm subject to God's delegated authority in the church and in the world. Again, going back to the boss scenario. We backbite. We're not subject to authority. Eesh. The authority is not in the man or the woman under whose authority we work or exist. It's in the office. It is in their delegated role. See, the ineffectual authority must answer to God. So, too, what must we for our failure to be obedient? That's why we don't look for who's anointed we look for who's in authority. This happens so frequently. There was something that I wrote on uh, when I was learning all about this idea. I wrote it on uh, social media when I used to like write stuff on social media. Foolish me. But this is a long time ago. And I wrote something that I heard Joyce Meyer say, and I really didn't vaguely understood it at the time, but I've come to understand it more, is when she said, no authority, no opinion. Yikes. I was raised in a household that's had an opinion on everything. Everything we had an opinion on. Well, if you're not in authority, you should not voice an opinion. Certainly we have thoughts in our mind and, and opinions in our mind, but the fact is once you voice them, you're in rebellion because you're not the authority. Yikes. Try to convince those who are not redeemed by the blood of Christ about obedience, and you will be torn to pieces. I had a lot of people, even people in the church, who came after me that, uh, for that statement. No authority, no opinion. And a lot of people walk around, go to different churches and say, oh, I, I come to different churches to examine where they go wrong or as a, um, a spiritual advisor. That's rebellion. You're not the authority. The pastor's the authority. Who are you as some itinerant, you know, I'm here to tell you what you're doing wrong. That's not your role. You're in rebellion because you don't understand authority. You under All of salvation, the whole process is based upon the authority of God and the obedience of Jesus. Why? Because Adam, the first man, was disobedient and therefore was in rebellion thereby leaving all flesh forever in rebellion. So the only way for God to redeem flesh, to redeem the church, to redeem creation, was for himself to take on flesh and to come into the earth and make a free will choice not as the first man, Adam, but as the second man, Jesus, to make a free will choice to obey. And when he obeys, he establishes the kingdom of God, but you understand rebellion requires a sacrifice. 
And through his sacrifice, his free will sacrifice of obedience on the cross with his shed blood, you can make the free will choice to accept his sacrifice and come under his authority. This is the majesty of God, his obedience. You talk about any other God. You talk about the gods created. Listen, and I know that people would freak out about this, but too bad. All gods are created. Almighty God, Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit are the creator, not the created. So you examine all created gods, and what do you get? Do you get free will sacrifice? So in believing, in accepting the faith of his free will decision to obey, you understand your obedience is in your faith and your free will declaration, I believe that Jesus is Lord. Now what I've done is I've crossed over from death into life. Why? Because I obey. How did I obey? I didn't do anything. Because faith, belief, trust is obedience. This is why obedience is not works or in, 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 the, in the, the sense of works, whereas the whole world's trying to do works to get saved. Obedience is what? Belief. All you have to do is believe in his free will choice so that you make the free will choice to accept his sacrifice, his obedience, thereby declaring and, and giving to you obedience. And yet we choose not to walk in that. We choose to seek works so that we're worthy of that, thereby bringing upon us suffering. What is the basis of our suffering? Choosing the kingdom of Satan and the flesh over the kingdom of God and the spirit. So, Ultimately, what is required of us for salvation? Rest. Not work, but rest in the finished work of obedience, thereby establishing his authority. I didn't even get to where I wanted to get. Yikes. <laughs> Uh, let me go back to uh, first period, uh, Peter 2, 13 through 14. This is back about talking about delegated authority. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance, every law of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. What? Do you complain about politicians? Do you obey? Do you pay your taxes? You may think they're unjust, but that's not for you to determine. For what, what is your requirement right here, according to 1 Peter? What? Submit. Yikes. Submit to authority, not the, the, the ordinances of man, not the ones you want to, not the ones you agree with, but submit to God's, to, to God's delegated authority. You see, God is the 
the, the authority. God is the, the source of all authority in the universe. He's teaching us obedience when that authority is placed in those who do evil or evil in our sight. Once we have demonstrated the ability to suffer and obey, he will place us in a position of authority. Then how did those other people get there? First of all, we don't know. Second of all, because God places those in authority so that his chosen can learn obedience and to rise to the positions that he has for them. When we criticize those in authority, we are insubordinate, we are in rebellion, and we therefore establish the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of Antichrist. When we believe and submit and obey Jesus, we establish the kingdom of God. It is our free will choice. Ah. <sighs> Finally, let me just finish this with God also establishes authority where? First and foremost in the home. I know people don't like this, but they don't, they, it, it's a false understanding. But I would suggest that rebellion begins even there in the home. Again, this may offend people. I'm sorry, but this is the word. It says in Ephesians, God has placed the husband as the head over the household. But what is the husband's role? to sacrifice himself, to love his wife such that Christ loved the church. If every man did as he was directed in his position of authority, I would believe that others would run to come under that authority. But even if he doesn't, we still must come under authority. This is hard. This is why it's suffering. We suffer in the flesh when we choose not to obey authority. Oh, my goodness, I'm afraid that I'm in this deep quagmire of confusion, and I have not finished what I believe the Lord had said to me recently, and I wanted so much to get to, but I am out of time. See, the majesty of God is the obedience of Jesus. There is nothing more majestic in all of creation than the obedience, the shed blood of our Lord and Savior. And so I'm hopeful to be able to finish this next time, if possible. <laughs> Although I could watch this and say, yeah, that wasn't very good, or I, I don't understand that, so maybe I shouldn't finish it. Nevertheless, believing and obeying in that shed blood, free will, sacrifice. And so if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if any of that which I've just spoken lends itself to any clarity to understand that salvation comes from a free will spoken choice accepting the sacrifice of Almighty God, the man Jesus, and resting in that obedience, you will enter into life. You will transform. What's that word I'm thinking of? Anyway, you will be translated from death into life. And so if you are at home and you're listening and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or you have, you just now haven't been living for it, I would like you to perhaps consider saying the prayer with me as I, as I read it aloud. Uh, first of all, this is from Romans 10:9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no equivocation there. 
There's no extra stuff there. Believe and state it, and you will be saved. So if you could just speak after me as I read this, as I speak it. Dear God in heaven, I believe today that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross, that he rose on the third day. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Become my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I thank you for accepting me into your kingdom. Thank you that I am born again. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer and believed it, you have, tra you have transitioned from death into life. And all of heaven rejoices over your choice. Thank you for uh, listening. Thank you for hopefully saying that prayer and that we are all a family born again, establishing the kingdom of God. Amen.